Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Uh, Welcome everyone to City Beautiful Church. My name is Ryan. We're currently in uh, the second series of the year, Listening to the Voice of God. So when we gathered, um, kind of the second half of last year, asking the Lord, okay, what's our vision? What's our direction? Um, We we kind of felt like the Lord was saying together uh, with one heart and mind, drawing closer to God. And that we spent the first part of this year kind of learning the heartbeat of God so we know that when we're listening to God, we can trust what it is that we're hearing. And so we're in this series now about how does God speak to us and then how do we learn to listen to him? Um, Can we bring the lights up a little bit more? There we go. Um, so today, we're going we're gonna to talk about how God speaks to us uh, through the scriptures. And, and kind of my title uh, passage is in John chapter 5. This is a moment where Jesus is confronting the teachers of the law in his day. And he says this, uh, The Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You've never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe the one he sent. And this is the passage I think is so profound right here. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, these sweet times of worship of coming together, of of gathering. There's something about that sense of togetherness that speaks volumes to who you are. And Lord, we all come in here with these different expectations of what it means for you to speak and how you speak. And and especially as we talked about last week, how we feel worthy or unworthy of hearing you because it's such a loaded uh, concept. The stakes are really high. And Lord, for many of us, it's just easier to avoid the whole topic altogether. Um, but Lord, I know that even in my own life, let alone many of us, that, that that really comes from this feeling of unworthiness. And so Holy Spirit, I invite you right now to alight upon your dear ones here uh, to speak to us that we are capable and that we are worthy of hearing you speak. And out of that, Lord, would you expand our notion of what it means to hear your voice um, so that we can really live into the expectations that we're creating in this community, that we are going to meet you, and when we meet you, we are changed. We become more Christ-like. We become more fully ourselves. That's why we're here, Lord. And so may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So that line again, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I'm going to say something very controversial right up front. I don't know if you're ready for this, okay? I like the Bible. There, I said it. I don't care what you think about me. I'm a fan of this book, or rather, this collection of books, if we're going to get specific. I have a lifelong fascination with the Holy Scriptures, but I have not always been the titan of exegesis that you see before you this morning. I, too, 
began in Sunday school with Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. I too went through the memorization drills. I too memorized large chunks of scripture so that I might get that pencil or that eraser, you know, or that, what was that, the slappy ping pongy thing, you know, paddle, you know. And, and I think that's great and that's important, but a lot of times what it tells us is scripture is a means to an end and that end is you getting stuff, right? I mean, how many of you, you grew up in church and like, you know, the Bible was central to your journey uh, but it wasn't always presented to you in the proper way, or it wasn't always really explained what is the Bible and what are we uh, to do with it. But I think one of the, the biggest parts of my journey with the scripture um, is my attitude in which I step into uh, reading the Bible, like my agenda when I come to the scriptures of what it is that I'm looking for, that I'm listening for. Um, I'm a very rational person. In fact, I remember a couple years ago, uh, we were doing a, a retreat for all of our volunteers here. There's about 60 of us. And I think at the time we were kind of talking through uh, some Myers-Briggs, you know, if you're a thinker or a feeler especially, and I said, how many of you are thinkers and me and Landon raised our hands and then I said how many of you are feelers and you know 58 people raised their hands so we're a community of a lot of feelers but you know that kind of stuff matters in the way that we come to scripture and that was largely what it was for me growing up that being a largely rational person I approached the scriptures in a rational way that I was always looking for um, explanations. I was looking to be able to explain the Bible, to make it sense of it, to iron out all of the wrinkles. And there's a large part of that that is admirable. But what I found was the more information that I was internalizing, it didn't really mean that I was being changed. And it didn't necessarily mean that I was engaging uh, with Jesus. And so over the, a long journey in my life, I've had to learn to shift gears that that is valuable in and of itself, but there's this deeper way in which we engage with the scriptures for the purpose to which they have been written. And this is what Jesus is challenging the teachers of the law to in his day. They're, he's saying, you're, you're, almost, you're turning the Bible into a fetish. Do you know what a fetish is? A fetish is when you have an obsession with an object, an unhealthy obsession with an object um, that you're asking it to do something that it cannot do. And that's what Jesus is saying. You have a fetish for your scriptures. You think that if you can understand them, if you can you know, know everything about the Bible and how it's supposed to be interpreted, then somehow that's going to bring you to salvation. And you miss that the scriptures are expressly there to point to me, that the scriptures are to help you to come to me to find life and to find salvation. And so the goal in reading scripture is to listen to the word behind the words. And everything that we're going to be talking about in this series of how we listen to God's voice, we all, we're always going to be presented with that challenge, that we can objectify the ways that God speaks over encountering God himself. But my hope is that in today, and as we continue on this journey, we're going to be able to unlock this invitation to intimacy that God is inviting us to through listening, specifically today through listening to the scriptures. And so there are essentially two ways in which we engage with the Bible, which we engage with the Holy Scriptures. And we call that the rational reading of scripture and the revealed reading. And it's important to recognize that we hold both of those in tandem to give us this comprehensive understanding of 
uh, of Scripture and what it's really talking about. Rational reading of Scripture is the kind of stuff where you're looking at, okay, what's the historical context? What's the cultural context? Maybe you're picking it apart grammatically. You're looking at the, the phrasing and you're, you're doing word studies and you're trying to draw out this big theological application of this Scripture and you're seeing how it fits in with the rest of the Bible. And that's very important. But knowing who Tiglath Pileser II was does not bring you any closer to Jesus. But it can help. By the way, he was a Nero Assyrian king. You, we all know his son, Asher Dan III, you know. Um, it really, it, that stuff is important. And for me, it's actually been fascinating. You know that when we, talk, when we hear Jesus talking about being thrown out of the gates of Jerusalem into hell, he's using this word Gehenna. And he's talking about this valley that was literally the garbage dump for Jerusalem. And when he's speaking in those terms, he's actually invoking the prophet Jeremiah, who was saying the same things that Jesus was. If you carry on the way that you are, kind of poking at the beast, which is the empire, you're going to find yourself thrown out into the garbage heap where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, that kind of context, that's really important stuff because it helps us to properly place what's happening, when, and to whom, and then to allow that to speak to us. But we fall short if that's our only agenda. If we only focus on mastering the Bible, we miss out on hearing God speak to us. And in fact, there are a lot of brilliant people in the world today who are experts in the scriptures, but have not been changed by them, have not been transformed by them, that perhaps don't even know the Jesus to which those scriptures are pointing. The context of the scripture is dramatically important, but only because it creates the space to go to this deeper place with them, to go beyond the realm of the analytical mind and to find ourselves in union with God as revealed in Jesus. And what is it in us that so often limits us to that rational reading of Scripture? I think for a lot, many of us, it might be an actual fear of intimacy, a fear of risking relationship, of going beyond the things that we know and the things that we control. Because how many of us, even in our human relationships, we recognize this, that we replace knowing facts about somebody with intimate knowledge? We hold people at arm's length and we can describe them accurately and we know all these stories about them and their preferences and their likes and their dislikes, but we've never really opened our heart to that person. We've never really explored who they are and in turn opened our hearts to them to allow them to enter in. And that's the true goal of what it means for us to draw close to God. I think Paul even describes this so beautifully and there's this prayer in Ephesians 3 and he kind of finishes that by saying this, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That's one of my favorite lines in all of scripture, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? And there's not meant to be an easy way out of that, an easy rational explanation. That's something that you can only step into and participate in to know a love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And I think this so beautifully frames our discussion about how we listen to God through the Holy Scriptures. That yes, knowledge is dramatically important. It's good for you to know things and stuff about your beloved but never, like, never think that that is intimacy itself. That's just setting the table. 
That's just creating the space for you to actually step in and yes, perhaps to risk vulnerability, to know someone with a love that surpasses knowledge. And so how do we frame this understanding of, of, of marrying our rational reading of Scripture, which is important and good, with this revealed reading of Scripture that only can come through the Holy Spirit? Well, there's a theologian up at Nor- uh, Northern Seminary, Scott McKnight. Uh, he's one of my current favorites, and he gave this really beautiful analogy of our attitudes in which we come to Scripture, and he speaks of a Rorschach test and a magic guy. So many of you will be familiar with a Rorschach test. It's basically an ink blot that's kind of doubled over, and the idea in psychology is that you come, you know, you come into your psychologist, and they show you these cards, and you're meant to look at that and go, what do you see? And so automatically, if you see hips, they go, ah, yes, Freud, you know. Or if you see, uh, you, you know, your mother, you're like, okay, you've got mommy issues or, you know, whatever it might be. Like, it's meant to unlock something in you that reveals what's going on in your subconscious. That's how a Rorschach test is supposed to work. But the key with a Rorschach test is that it's an inherently neutral space. In reality, that is just an ink blot. But as human beings, we are crafted to read meaning into things even when it's not there, right? And it's very useful in a psychological examination, but it's not very useful when we come to the scriptures with that same expectation. Because if we believe that the scriptures are an inherently neutral space, that there's nothing going on there, then what we subconsciously do, like a Rorschach test, is we project meaning into the scripture instead of allowing the scripture to speak to us. And so what does this mean? This is when you open the Bible and go, okay, God, here's my agenda. Here's what I need to hear today. I'm going to open to page 687, and I'm going to read that, and that's going to give me my answer. You see, what happens there is we shut down the place of listening. We've already come in with our agenda, and we've already said, God, this is what I need you to speak, and this is what I need you to show to me, and thank you very much. And we've narrowed the ability for God to speak to us because we're treating the scriptures like a Rorschach test. This is a neutral space, and I project my ego into it, and I just see what bounces back. And we wonder why we get so frustrated when we try to read the Bible. But he gives us this uh, this other analogy that I think is more helpful for how, to, how we read the scriptures, and that is in a magic eye. Does anybody remember these? How many of you grew up in the 90s, maybe? Let's just take a moment and see if you can do this. I'm just kidding, you can't. You can't do it. I'm, seriously, we set it up on Thursday, and Daniel and I sat here for like half an hour. It doesn't actually work on these screens, but you know what it is. And this one's really neat because it's got dolphins with some buried treasure in there. But a magic eye, for those of you who are not familiar, is that there's a hidden image in this crazy, you know, whatever is going on in the center of this picture. And the real key, as we learned in like the fourth or fifth grade, is you actually have to kind of relax your eyes Go cross-eyed almost, and you see through the image, and you're going to see this 3D thing pop out. And it's actually quite a fascinating little trick. And what, the beauty of this is an analogy for how we read Scripture, as opposed to the Rorschach test, is that we need to learn how to see deeply. We need to learn to see the thing beyond the thing. And then when we do that, when our expectation is more open-handed, then the meaning is revealed to us rather than being something that we come in with an agenda that we're projecting into the image. 
And I love that in order to see a magic eye, you have to relax your eyes, right? Essentially, you have to give up control of your own system. You have to give yourself over to the image, not knowing what you're going to find there. And then it reveals something to you. And out of that, you find surprise and delight. And I think this is such a beautiful analogy for how we're called to read the scriptures. That it's when we step into them, we submit ourselves to scripture, that we're surprised by what it is that we discover there. And I think, in fact, when we trust the scriptures to do this, they begin to speak far deeper truths to us than what it is that we would have come in with an agenda. Because let's be honest, many of our agendas when we're looking to hear God or to read scripture are very small and very narrow. It's only about me in this moment and what I need to do to get ahead in life. And that's what so often leads to disappointment. But when we can learn to relax our eyes, to submit, to give ourselves over, we find new, deeper truths than we could possibly imagine. And so when we listen to the scriptures, we are listening for Christ. It's another way of saying that we're listening to the word behind the words. I think so often we get frustrated because we still have that semblance of control. I think the whole human story is this struggle between control and submission. And when we try to control the scriptures, which is really to say, when we try to control God, when God is the, the divine ATM in the sky, and I'm going to do the dance, and I'm going to put my card in, and now, God, you're going to give me all the stuff that you promised to give me because the Bible tells me that, then we often find ourselves disappointed because we've crafted a very small God with a very small agenda. But when we learn the beautiful art of submission, healthy submission, that's when we begin to uncover the deeper truths. Think about this in your earthly relationships. I think it's such a good example. When you try to control your beloved, your friends, your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your parents, your siblings, when you have that semblance of control and agenda, you're coming and saying, here's what I need from you. I need you to give me this and this and this, and I need it by the end of the day. Thank you very much. You're so often disappointed, right? Father Richard Rohr says, expectations are premeditated disappointments. And if that's all you walk out of here with, you're doing okay. But we try to control the narrative. We're trying to control ourselves. We're trying to control other people. We're trying to control God. And I think the, the majority of the suffering that you experience in your life is your obsessive and compulsive needs to control the narrative. And the suffering that you find in your relationship with God is because you are still trying to control him, to control the narrative but it's the art of healthy submission that actually unlocks the deeper truths of life. Because to listen to God is to submit. I've heard it said before that listening and loving are so close that they're practically the same thing. And if we come in with our tight agendas, we do not listen, our ears are closed. Or at the very least, we've narrowed it down to we need to hear exactly this. And so to submit is to be willing to be surprised and delighted when we receive truth from God, when we are led into a deeper place in our relationship with him. And I think submission then is the key to love. And so when you came in today, uh, you were given a little half sheet of paper there. I'm going to um, teach you a way 
to step into this, re- this revealed Holy Spirit reading of the Holy Scriptures, coming to the Bible with this expectation of meeting Him and in turn being transformed. It's called Lectio Divina, which is Latin for sacred reading. And you might say, Ryan, this sounds like a Catholic thing. And I'm saying, it is. <laughs> but guess what? There was only a Catholic church for about a thousand years. So this is your heritage too. So this begins uh, kind of in the we'll say uh, second century with this uh, church father called Origen and he taught it to Ambrose and you all know Ambrose and then Ambrose taught it to St. Augustine and it kind of passed through uh, all of these church mothers and fathers in the first few centuries of the church and then in the sixth century, uh, St. Benedict of Nursia kind of collated it into this rule of life uh, for, uh, for the monastic practices. And it's been handed down, and there's a lot of variations of it, but this is kind of, I think, the best and simplest way to do it. And it's essentially a five-step process. So I'm going to explain to you the five steps, and then we're going to actually practice this, learning how to listen to God through the Holy Scriptures. So what we do is we begin by preparing And this means that we invite the Holy Spirit to quiet our minds, our bodies, and our spirits. I think this is imperative because this is the place where we begin to let go of all the guilt and regret of the past, the anxiety of the future, and we learn how to be in the present moment and begin that process of submission. This is so often where you're going to let go of your obsessive need to control the the narrative and to even control your time with God and to give yourself over to Him. And it, honestly, it's going to take you a lot of time to practice the art of relinquishment, to let go of all of those preoccupations and to be fully present. And just a little, you know, helpful nugget for you, uh, oftentimes when you're trying to enter into that space, that's where you get hit with these waves of thoughts, right? These worries and these other things and did I turn off the stove and all of that stuff starts flowing at you. And what happens so often, again, in our obsessive need to control is we begin to put up our dukes against all of our thoughts and our feelings. We're like, no, poof, knock that out of the way. No, you got to get out of the way. And we spend all of our time fighting our thoughts and our feelings and not acknowledging God, but rather if we can welcome in all of our thoughts and feelings, integrate them into that process of submitting ourselves to the Lord, we find that they actually become an asset to us. And so you have to welcome in your thoughts and feelings as you're preparing and do not chase them away. Secondly, um, is to read the scripture itself. I find that this is best with stories. I always recommend, as we're going to do in a moment, to begin with a story from one of the Gospels. Um, But the Psalms are a really powerful way uh, to practice uh, the sacred reading of Scripture. And what you want to do here is slowly and deliberately read the passage several times through. And this is very scalable to, to where you're at and how much time you have. Maybe it's just a single verse. Maybe it's a passage. But it's really important to read it slowly And just allow the words to wash over you. This is you submitting to the words. And it's really important that you try not to analyze the words as you read. This is where you're going to have to really learn how to balance out your analytical mind. Because you're very quickly going to go, oh, Tiglath Pileser II, I need to look up who this guy is. Or you're going to see, you know, some word like grace and go, oh, I need to do a word study on the word grace. All of that is good. That's just not what you're doing in this moment. And so try not to analyze the scripture while you're reading it, but let the words present you with their own emphases. I think one of the most important things we can do when it comes to scripture is to learn to get out of the way when we're listening. 
Oftentimes we are way too intrusive when we come to scripture because we're coming in with that narrow agenda. And so just read the scripture slowly, a couple times through, and then thirdly, uh, to meditate. And the question here is, what is God saying to you through this text in the moment? What is meditation? Well, meditation is the quiet, submissive prayer of the mind and the imagination. When you allow God to anoint your imagination, to work through your mind, and to begin to reveal to you whatever it is that he wants to show you in the moment. And again, what the analytical mind will do is try to dissect and analyze all the bits and pieces of what's going on, but as a way of preventing you from engaging with the deeper knowing that surpasses knowledge. But what you're rather trying to do in meditation is to enter peace with Christ, to enter that sense of togetherness and oneness that you have with him in the moment. And this is the place where you really have to learn to become sensitive to the way that God specifically speaks to you. How many, for, for some of you, how many of you, when you're reading scripture, there's like a word that almost feels like it literally pops off, this, off the page? Is that anybody? couple of you? How many of you, you envision when it's a story, especially you see the, the actors and the players and you see the environment, what's going on. How many of you, you get this hunch? You know, it's not, it's not a word necessarily. It's not an image, but there's this, there's this sense. You have a feeling. Some of you, how many of you, uh, perhaps you have a memory of something in your own life that's drawn up and maybe it kind of surprises you. Like, I don't know why I'm thinking about my dog from when I was, you know, 11 years old. The more that you can learn the language by which God speaks to you, the more powerfully uh, the art of meditation will come to you. But it's important that rather than fighting things or prejudging them as they show up, that you receive those things, that you welcome whatever comes to your mind in meditation and trust that that might be the Lord speaking to you. The fourth stage is to pray. And this is essentially to allow the scriptural revelation to guide your dialogue with God. What stood out to you? Was there a word that jumped off the page? Was there an image? Was there a memory? Was there a feeling that was associated with that scripture? The challenge then is to take that thing and to turn it into a prayer to come to the Lord and to begin to speak out your observations or your requests or your acknowledgements, whatever it might be, but to use what's impacting you as this fuel for entering into dialogue with God. I think praying the scriptures is an incredibly powerful tool to be able to read a passage and to turn around and to say, okay, Lord, here's what I'm hearing. Here's what I'm noticing because what that does is it actually leads you into places that you might never have gone before. You know, there's a couple times where we've taken a Saturday and I've taught the entire Gospel of Matthew in the whole day. It takes about 16 hours. And what we do is we read it chapter by chapter and I challenge the people that are reading, read it, we're gonna sit quietly with it for 30 seconds and then I want you to pray something out of that scripture. So maybe we're reading, you know, in the beginning of uh, the story of Jesus before his birth when the angel appears to Joseph, you know, because Joseph realizes that Mary is pregnant and says, because Joseph was a quiet man or a righteous man, he sought to divorce her quietly. And there's this really beautiful little observation about the character of Joseph. So in our prayers, we might say, Lord, I want to be more like Joseph, like a truly righteous person. You see, and it's those kind of little inspirations from Scripture that lead us into new territory 
and lead us places that maybe our agendas wouldn't normally take us. And feel free to make it personal. This is about you engaging with God. And then finally, the, the, the fifth and final uh, step in Lectio Divina, I think, is possibly the most difficult, and this is where you're going to need the most grace and patience, and that's the gift of contemplation. And what is contemplation? It means to rest in the gift of God's loving presence to you. And so contemplation is essentially the prayer of the silent heart at rest. You know, I've used that image before of like, you know, the, the gaze of the mother upon the sleeping infant. That perhaps the child isn't even fully aware that the mother is there, but the mother just looks with, with deep love upon the sleeping infant. And the importance of us learning how to recognize this is how God sees us. And I, I think this is where it gets really tricky. I think contemplation is not something we can just well up within us. It's not just a task or something we can just get really good at. Contemplation is a gift from the Holy Spirit. Again, that it's something that we have to learn how to receive. So what I found really helpful in contemplation, so it's a, if a silent prayer as opposed to a discursive prayer where you're having discussion with God, which is good, but that silent prayer, you might want to choose an anchor word or phrase or image from the reading that just kind of grounds you in the moment to receive the presence of God, to be able to sit there. Because I think ultimately the goal of prayer is for you just to be able to sit quietly with God. You don't need to say anything to him and he doesn't need to say anything to you. You know, there's a story of a, someone interviewing Mother Teresa and asking her about her prayer life. And she, and she you know, obviously spent a lot of her life in, in different kinds of prayer. And they'd say, what happens when you pray? She says, well, I don't really say much. Well, what does God say to you? Well, he doesn't really say much either. And that's the place, that deep abiding rest in the presence of God. And that's the ultimate goal of where we want to get to. So we're gonna practice this uh, right now, we're going to use um, the, the passage that I actually learned this with, which is in John chapter 2, uh, which is uh, the Jesus' uh, Jesus's first miracle at the wedding of Cana. And I'm going to talk you through this um, prayerfully, and I'm going to encourage you, especially when we come to meditation and to prayer, to write yourself a few notes. Make this engaging. This is going to be uh, personal for you. Um, for those of you who are visual learners, we're going to have it, the reading on the screen, but I encourage you, if you can, to close your eyes and to kind of give yourself over to it. Everybody ready? You ready to hear God? You're all like deer in the headlights. That's okay. That's okay. This is weird. This is weird stuff. So first of all, uh, we're going to begin in preparation. So what I want you to do is I want you to loosen up your body. Okay, don't tighten yourself up. Don't be crossed over yourself. A lot of times, the, your physical posture leads you into expectations. So I want you to just get in a, a relaxed position that you don't have to move around. You don't feel like you're going to adjust yourself too much. You can have your hands out in front of you in a posture of receiving. But just take a moment, listen to your body, feel the tension. Maybe you want to begin just in your feet, feeling grounded to the moment. Just move your way up through your body, kind of relaxing your muscles one by one. Pay a lot of attention to your, to your face. Are you squinched up? Are you feeling tight? Just loosen that up, loosen up your jaw, loosen up your eyes. And I'm gonna pray as we just step into this. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. 
even though you already are. Quiet our minds, all the busyness, the guilt and regret of the past, the anxiety of the future. Draw us into this present moment. Quiet our bodies, the nervousness, the twitching, the tightness. Teach us how to open up to you. Quiet our hearts, our feelings that we're afraid might run away with us. We welcome in our feelings. Quiet our spirits, that even now deep is calling out to deep. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Yes, Lord. And now we read. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 10 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone who brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now.
what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now we enter into meditation. What is God saying to you through this text? What do you see? What do you hear? What do you notice? Feel free to write those things down. ready, use whatever has been revealed to you to pray, to allow that revelation to begin your dialogue with God. Turn those feelings, those images, those observations, turn those words into prayer. What do you want to say to Him? What do you want to ask Him? What do you want to tell Him? Finally, contemplation. Just allow yourself into that silent prayer of the heart at rest. Where you don't have to say anything to God and He doesn't have to say anything to you. Everything is as it should be.
Almighty God. We thank you that not only are you always speaking at all times and in any manner of ways, but you have also deemed us worthy and capable of hearing your voice. Holy Spirit, I pray that anything that you have revealed to each of your dear ones here this morning would be sealed by your presence, that it would sink down deep into the deepest part of us, that it would be a truth that we can hold on to, that sustains us, that gives us life. Father, teach us that day by day to let go of our agendas, our need to control, our need to perceive and understand, our need to order, our need to dictate the agenda, teach us how to let all of this go, to submit to you as an act of faith, as an act of trust. Because Lord, we want to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So bless us, Lord, as we bless you. Let's stand and worship. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.